Now, our first witness this morning is Butch. Well, when the fight broke out, I got stabbed in the back, and I, I pulled my knife and hit him. That was the first person I ever killed. Butch Crouch was a hell's angel who'd murdered people and then rolled over and became a government witness. He was giving up details of this crime only somebody that was there would have known about. What good's a man? In his right hand, he had an automatic handgun and blood over his chest. What exactly happened here? Two people were murdered. A house was set on fire. Because of Crouch, I've been hiding in the witness protection program for most of my life. But I'm done hiding. From C-13 Originals, a division of Cadence 13, welcome to Relative Unknown, a new podcast about the stories and family we can't escape. Download Relative Unknown for free now on Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. To introduce our guest today, I just want you to imagine you're on a movie set. You're acting in a film that stars Mark Wahlberg. It's a drama about war, about a group of soldiers putting their life on the line. And the actors, like Wahlberg, are exhausted, mentally and physically, and rightly so. This is an intense film, to say the least. Now, the actor I'm talking about, also in this film, is named Jerry. While filming this movie, Jerry is also filming another movie in Las Vegas. This other movie is a comedy. And the stars, alongside Jerry, are Michael Douglas, Robert De Niro, Morgan Freeman, and Kevin Kline. Four legends working together for the first time. So Jerry is going back and forth, shooting this drama with Wahlberg, then flying to film this comedy with another group of legends. Back and forth, one set to the next. It's a neat anecdote that speaks to the career of Jerry Ferrara, today's guest. An actor who has had spectacular success, who first became quite well-known with the HBO hit comedy Entourage. For those who never checked it out, Entourage was a hit show that followed the acting career of the fictional character Vincent Chase, a young A-list movie star, and his, well, childhood friends from Queens as they attempt to live out the Hollywood dream in LA. And there's four main characters, Vince the star, E, the best friend and manager, Johnny Drama, Vince's brother, trying to become a star, and Turtle, the good friend of all three who smoked a lot of weed and, as the show goes on, is really trying to find himself. Turtle was played by Jerry, and the show was on for eight seasons. It won, I couldn't believe, 26 Primetime Emmy Awards. It also won a Peabody Award. And after Entourage, and this is where that anecdote comes back into play, Jerry found huge success in another role, playing a lawyer, Joe Proctor, in the star's show, Power. What's interesting is that this character, Joe Proctor, is very different from Turtle. Again, there's this interesting duality of of roles he's played in his career, playing characters that aren't just different, but he's been on sets and shows with very different tones. It it gets more complicated, which which we'll get into. You think I'm taking his career too seriously? No, no, no. We have uh, a lot of fun in this interview. I laugh quite a bit. Just a quick heads up for context, uh, two quick items. For those who aren't huge NBA fans, we'll bring up Kyle O'Quinn. He was a former Knicks basketball player. We'll also mention briefly Pete Berg, a, uh, let's say, tough director who directed Jerry and Lone Survivor. 
Just personally, I, I watched Entourage while growing up and while I was in the midst of dropping out of college and dreaming of one day going into the entertainment business. So it was just cool to revisit those days. Last, I just want to say Jerry's one of the good ones, I think, in Hollywood. Not always easy to find. He's kind, generous with his time, humble. And he reached out actually on Twitter after listening to our episode on Michael Jordan, kindly saying he enjoyed that episode. And my answer was immediate, essentially saying, come to the studio, let's do an interview. And so here it is. Where does one begin? I was just telling the guys, and this isn't this isn't blowing smoke. I guess maybe technically it's blowing smoke, but what I think in terms of your entourage character, we'll start, let's start with there and we'll work our way back, I think, if that's okay. Sure. So I want to get into childhood and stuff. But uh, you know, I recall when watching that, that and that, that was like a big part of me when I'm in my early 20s, like and you know, I was I had this show on MTV, and yep. we would go out to LA, and we were we you know I had my turtle, and I had my Johnny Dr- and I'm sure you get that all the time. Like every group, whether they're living some version of it or not, you know. And what I recall people here, I recall maybe even I am guilty of this thinking is like, I feel like that turtle guy is kind of just playing like that's probably a version of that guy, like that Jerry guy. It's probably more or less him, and he just like. Maybe he doesn't smoke that much weed in real life. <laughs> wow. and, 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 and it's really like the ultimate sign of a great fucking actor because we actually don't think you're acting. And what better compliment could, could one receive? And then I was doing a little bit of research and I saw that, I think it was Kevin Connolly who said, you, you maybe couldn't have been more different than any of the other guys from that from that, um, do you get do you get that? I guess to try and land on a question here, do you get that a lot? The perception that people thought uh, you're you're pretty much like Turtle, right? I mean, when when the show was actually going on, and probably when because season one it didn't really take off. It actually critically was well received, but ratings wise, it wasn't really a thing. I always say like anywhere else in that show would have been canceled right away because we were not a like ratings juggernaut I didn't know that. out of the gate. Huh. But we had like New York Times did some, wrote some nice stuff. We had all, all the reviews were, wow, this is a fresh show that we've not really seen this inside look at a actor's career. Right. And, uh, and it was just like a ratings thing. And it kind of came with the culmination of the invention of like HBO on demand and TiVo and stuff like that. So totally. there was this, lo- and you know, HBO takes time in between seasons. So there was this large break in between season one and two. And what happened was like this perfect storm of everyone just caught up because it was one of the first shows on demand. Everyone caught up with season one in the nine months or eight months we were off the air. So when we came back for season two, we grew without knowing we grew. Then they started so reporting some on-demand numbers, and they were like, "Wow, it's the number one down, like watch show on HBO on that's demand." That's how I watched and, season one, and I that's how a lot of that. people did that. So when we came back for season two, we we actually were a little bit of a ratings hit as well, although it wasn't reflective in the Nielsen. But live in, in in today's we're in a uh, wow, so you were kind of a case study for how how it could be done moving forward. That's, that's yeah. So I guess to land on an answer <laughs> to <Yeah>. your question, <laughs> you know, when we came back for season two, there was a lot of fans that we just didn't know were going to be there so you know we're filming stuff on sunset boulevard santa monica boulevard in the heart of la and we used to stop traffic and i just remember it was a really shocking thing but to get to your question yes there were people thought we rolled out of bed showed up and just turned cameras on like a reality show almost and this also was during the height of the reality craze that's a good way to put it people thought it was a 
almost a reality show. They thought right. I was Turtle. They thought Kevin Connolly was E. Right. And I do think that there's always like t- at least 10% of you in every, I like to think there's 10% of even Daniel Day-Lewis and Lincoln. Right. <laughs> you, you like to think, or maybe not him, but you know. Sure. So That's we all good. have a degree of ourselves in those characters, but no, I, I, no, I, I, I am much more of an introvert, uh, much more in like, I always had fun playing Turtle because he has no inner voice. He will say whatever's on his mind. He's, right. He doesn't know he's not the best looking guy in the room. Right. He walks up to girl. He has no, <laughs> I, I just, I don't function that way. It right. was very fun to play, but you know, we, we like the Yankees and the Knicks. Those were similarities, but right. um, we all got that very much. And um, yeah, it kind of never went away. It took years really to start going away. And then just when it goes away, you know, you go do a movie and it kind of, Right, kind of pulls you back, and I want to I want to get to that. But yeah. to your to your point, I, I'll never forget. I remember this well. A couple of years ago, I was at a Knicks game, and I'm fortunate, very very grateful to get pretty good seats. Mm-hmm. And you were sitting um, a couple seats away, underneath the hoop. Oh, it's the best seat in the garden. Best by seat the in the garden. I love underneath the hoop because we're because we're also to your. I think what you're also we're right next to uh, the the team and the Knicks bench. Bench, yep. And so. Uh, um, who recognized you? Uh, Kyle O'Quinn, right? O'Quinn. And so I, I just remember he noticed you and he goes, oh shit, <laughs> it's Turtle. It's Turtle. And I, and I was like, come on, man, just say Jerry, say his name. And then, and then you're up on the big screen, says Jerry, you know, it is a, and then throughout the game, Kyle standing up, yo, did you see that shit, Turtle? That was a nice play, right? right. I'm thinking like, I guess it's a good problem to have, but man, that must be annoying. Like this guy, like it doesn't take much to just to just know he's he's this. That's his that's his character. Kyle. Yeah, like so. A couple. First of all, Kyle, it's so funny you were there because since then, Kyle O'Quinn and I have gone on to actually become really good friends. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. He did one of the coolest things ever. I took my ten year old nephew to his first Knicks game ever, and and fortunate, I'm fortunate like you. They they have always taken really good care of yeah. me with seats, and it's probably the best result of having to deal with turtle this and turtle that as I get great seats at the garden. So I'm I'm still up in the game of life. Right. So team intros are about to start and I'm there with my nephew and my hope is that he's going to really enjoy this experience because I, I, you can almost see in a young person like their loyalty is on the line here because he loves like Steph Curry because Steph Curry and kids are a thing but he needs to be a Nick fan for his uncle Jay. Right. <laughs> and the lights go off and they're introing the Knicks and Kylo Quinn just walks over to us and grabs my nephew by the hand. My nephew looks at me and I just give him this face of like, it's okay, and drags him out to the court. And you know when the teams are doing the intro and the huddle and all that? Of course. He's high-fiving with all the little kids, with, with, with all the players and just this amazing experience, which I have on film. And I even told my nephew, I'm like, this is gonna be the coolest thing in your life. He's like, Hands yeah, up. it was pretty cool. Oh, he was dude. just so chill about it. Yeah. Um, and I always told Kyle O'Quinn, I'm like, I could never repay you. And also do that to me next yeah, time, Yeah, I was man. gonna say, yeah. But um, it, it is a weird thing. I, I don't know if we could actually figure out why it happens. I think a lot of it has to do with television and being in people's homes. Yeah. So they feel a more intimate relationship. Right. I, I don't expect anyone to know my name. It's not like a requirement of being a fan of someone's work. It would be, it's nice for right. sure. But some people will come up and be more like, hey, you you, you play the character Turtle, right? Uh, oh, forgive a, me, I don't know your a, name. Oh, there we go. That's the way to do it. But there's, I just think that there are some people who want it to be real. Mm. You know, it was a part of their life in a way where, like I said, you're in their home, you're That's in their dorm room, or you're in, and it's it's a part of their pop culture upbringing, so they want it to be real. And it, I don't think 
Because anytime I've even corrected someone kindly, they're like, Turtle, oh my God. And I'm like, hey, it's Jerry. Nice to meet you. You're like, oh God, that's, oh, right. Of course, Jerry. I'm like, they don't, it's like a reflex. Right, right. I don't quite know exactly why because I, I just don't know. I, I, I would like to think that I, I, if I saw someone I admire, even in today's day, you do a quick Google Catch their real name. <laughs> right, well, right, I don't expect right. you to know my name and watch the opening credits. But. I think kudos. I mean, without making kudos to you though, because I think they really do buy that you are Turtle. That's the thing. That's part of it. Is like I bet they see. Let's think of other shows that are iconic, like Chandler. I bet they oh. say Matthew Perry though, because I don't think they totally buy. There's something about that show that did feel real to it, and with you guys and your character, I think was. Um, Interesting. Yeah, it is a. It is a. To me, it is a token of like, hey, you did a really good job. I the think shit, so. The shit was believable. Which, I think so. as an actor, that's what you're taught to do. Right. Be as believable as possible. But right. uh, there are some that I I would even play around with some people. And be like, hey, where's Vince? And I'd be like, he's at the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> you serious? I'm like, no, I'm not. So you mean Adrian? Adrian's like in a Brooklyn coffee shop watching yeah, right. an indie band right, right now. Right. I don't know what he's right. doing. We don't right. live together. Right. That's funny. You're like, oh, all right, whatever you say, turtle. And they drive right. away. It's like, I can't even have fun with them. But now the interesting thing is you're known amongst a younger generation for being in power, which is on stars and is a drama. And so, and you tell me, but it's, it's almost like, I mean, it's something I would assume to be really grateful for that one, you're now very much known for two very different shows. Very different. And also playing two very different characters. Yeah. Uh, one is is obviously comedy. The other is obviously drama. And then I was watching Power to to get do some of my research here. And you're also, uh, I mean, you're playing a lawyer. You're, you're, it's, it's a very different uh, yeah. guy that I'm, I'm believing is real. Uh, what has that been like? Are, are you have you almost become typecast into two different sets of roles, and people aren't even able to to? I don't really know what I'm asking. No, I think I, I think I'm fo- no, I th- <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm following it, and it is actually something I'm very fascinated by, and not even because it does directly affect me, which it does, but also just as a theory with uh, typecasting and. I, look, it certainly is a threat to any actor who's on a show for a while. I think in I think times have changed so so much that it's not nearly the threat it used to be. I mean, you could look around like Steve Carell starred on a very popular television oh, wow. show for a very long time, and he's also one of the biggest movie stars on the face of the earth. Whereas, you know what? Maybe in the '80s or early '90s, maybe Steve Carell doesn't get out of The Office because it's like, oh no, you're a TV guy. You do The Office. That's what you don't do, movies. Right. Those rules are all gone. But if you think about typecasting as a thing, what it means is, okay, so if I was going, if I were to go out for a drama while Entourage was going on, the questions would be, well, can you do drama? And like, can you do, can you be anything else but Turley? You're sort of like, you're trying to shake that identity. And then Power comes along, and now Power is in its sixth season. I've been on since the second season, so I'm five years in. Very, very different character. And what really made me notice this was walking around when we, when my wife moved, and I moved back to New York, and literally on one street we're walking in Brooklyn, and it's like, I'm like hey, what's up, guys? And then we cross over, and we we get a coffee, and we're walking back on the other street, and it's like, oh, my God, Proctor! Whoa. And it's this whole other age group, and, and I just am like... 
how could I be Turtle on this street <laughs> and Proctor on this street? And that's where it got me thinking. I'm like, well, if typecasting wasn't a thing, that should not have been able to happen. Huh. It should only happen once because that's all you could do. Right. You could only be this one guy. You don't have any other range or Turtle. Right. But it sort of happened again, which to me, in a way, proves typecasting still exists, but also disproves the whole theory it shouldn't have happened again. Right. And it's very confusing. I swear, and my, I wish I almost had my wife in here because she... She's the one who really even knows. It's like it's just so weird. You're different from like now. I'm not saying I can't walk the streets. Don't get me mistaken. It's not. I'm. You're not this coming, is not every day. You're not coming across that way. Okay. Although I have a hunch it probably does. But sure. I, I'm. I'm just let it be I known. I'm not saying yep. I can't walk the street. I'm saying when it does like happen. Yep. Sure. Yep. Every now and then, it's <laughs> it's different on on from street to street. Sometimes from like subway stop to stub, subway stop, where you know I'm riding on the subway right. and it's like a bunch of kind of like frat guys and they're like turtle right, and then right, right, right. go to the it's like some 17 year old kids are like oh my god proctor get ghost out of jail like, crazy oh, okay that but good that must feel so validated i mean i feel like i know certain people and elements of my even my career on but you you it must feel really good when people started saying proctor you're like oh okay huh it, I, it I does can, i can yeah it does it actually bothers me far less than some of the turtle stuff in a way because and look i remember because you're trained to like be very and i don't want to get too actor i always kind of give an eye roll whenever i hear someone gets so ultra like actory but as far, uh, as far as the typecasting yeah. stuff i i do know for a fact that when i was trying to get other parts even while entourage was starting to end you're so conscious of it. It almost comes off in the room. Not like there's like, not that it's like a desperation, oh, but I definitely in my mind was like, no, I'm going in there today and I'm going to show them that I could do much more than Turtle. And while that's a great, it's good to have that thought in mind, man, when I was younger, before, even before Entourage, I would walk in those audition rooms and do exactly what I wanted to do in there. And if I, if it didn't go my way, I really walked out with the youthful, arrogance of like, well, you're a fucking idiot. Right. You just don't know yet. You'll realize you made a mistake. <laughs> Whereas it it became at some point in my later 20s, like, no, 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 I could do this. Yeah. I could do this. So you were almost overacting to, or overcompensating yes. to try. That's so interesting. Yes. Um, Proctor settled me down a little right. bit. Because someone gave me the chance. Right. Oh, interesting. Why did they give you that chance? You know, it, it really just takes one. And I'm not saying that there was many, but uh, Courtney Kemp, who created Power, uh, called me in for a general meeting when they were doing the show for the either for the pilot or early in season one for a mm. part. And I went and I met her and we were talking. And I was like, well, so you want me to audition for this? She's like, no, it's yours if you want it. And I'm like, whoa, that doesn't happen a whole lot. I don't wow. have to sing for my supper right, right now. She's, right. Like, no. She's like, I think that you are underutilized in Entourage. And I think everyone has a soft spot for you from that show. And I also think I know where you're from. I know a little bit more about you. I think there's a lot more to you than that. And I like to surprise people. That's where casting directors are underappreciated. Like that yeah. right there. Because, you know, there's that whole argument that casting directors should be nominated for an Academy Award and that sort of thing. I think so. That's an interesting anecdote. I, that's, um, I, I, I think that would be a great thing. I mean, I know they've tried to make like casting awards separately. They've honored casting directors over the years, but not, right. not in that way. I, I would be all for that. Um, and it didn't work out at the time because I think, I, I want to say it was the Entourage movie that, of course, now it's like, oh, now I got two jobs and I can't do both? Great. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's how, that's how luck would have it. Right. But um, 
she said to me after I had to turn it down, she's like, all right, I'll, I'm going to write something for you next year and I'm going to come back for you. Oh, that's what happened. Got it. And I said, sure. All right, right, right. go go do that. I haven't right. heard that one before. Right, right. And a year later, she calls and she said, I, I wrote this character for this criminal defense attorney who's going to, it's going to start off a little slow, but I have a plan. And right. year four, she's talking about year four and five and- Again, I, and I think a lot of maybe people in my, look, it, it wasn't a big part in the beginning. It wasn't tons of money in the beginning. I, I think maybe a lot of guys coming off a show might have been like, eh, right. small part. I should part. be the lead, yeah. Or just it's not it's not enough to do. But yeah. I, she showed so much faith in me that I said, I, I'm going to give you the same faith back. Let's do it. And sure enough, she by far has written the, I think, the best material I've ever had to work with. And I think it's my best my best work. That's awesome. That's incredible. That's such an interesting anecdote. One of my favorite episodes in Entourage is an episode called The Sundance Kids. Uh, it's when the fellows get into the, well, Vince and his movie get into the top film festival and the fellows all go to Park City, Utah. They fly in. There's an opening shot where they're getting off the plane and it's like in slow motion, cool music, and they're there. They're getting ready to go skiing or snowboarding, have some fun. They got a big house, but poor Turtle, he has to sleep on a bunk bed with Vince's older brother, Johnny Drama. And when Turtle jumps onto the bunk bed, what happens? It breaks. And so obviously, when I was watching the episode, you know what I was thinking. Man, if only he had a sleep number bed. The fact is, and this part I'm serious on, I have a sleep number bed and it has, I don't know about changed my life, but made like huge advancements in how my lower back feels, getting quality sleep. Uh, for the record, my sleep number setting is 50 and my partner's is to be determined. So many couples disagree on mattress firmness, sleep number 360 smart beds, let you choose your ideal firmness on each side so it's just right for both of you. The Sleep Number 360 smart beds are so smart, they sense your every move and automatically adjust to you. It's true. I don't know. It's, it's incredible. Keeping you sleeping comfortably throughout the night. When you add a FlexFit smart adjustable base, you better believe I did that, you can also raise the head or foot of your bed for ultimate relaxation. Partner snoring? Well, no, my partner isn't snoring, but I do snore. There's even an adjustment for that. Come in now and save up to $1,000 on select Sleep Number 360 smart beds when you add a smart adjustable base only for a limited time. Sleep Number is ranked number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses by J.D. Power. For 2018 award information, just visit jdpower.com. Now let's get to the good part. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of their 575 Sleep Number stores nationwide, visit sleepnumber.com slash WRH, as in what really happened, to find the one nearest you. You have this quote here that I think I really lo I, I love and related to about nerves. You said, uh, I think a lot of actors can get in their own way just because of their own nerves, whether you're doing a play or a student film or an episode of Entourage. If you're a little nervous, just feel that, enjoy it, and just know that's exactly how you're supposed to feel. Do you get you get nervous in almost any acting kind of gig, and how do you go about sort of thinking about approaching the 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 role? I think I've been nervous on at least take one, 
of almost every single day I've worked. Yeah. I don't know if it's because I maybe deep down, it's like my own insecurity of like, uh, should I really be here? Should like, should it, all of this had happened? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. That's a, that's a different therapy episode. We'll maybe do one day. <laughs> But um, I think it's completely normal. You have 100 people there on a set mm. or in a theater looking at you performing. And, and the stakes are a lot higher when you're doing it professionally. So I think it's okay to feel that. But if it starts to kind of consume you, mm. it, could go really, it could go really wrong. But I, I, I think that's a good thing. I think if you're like ultimately calm and so comfortable, I, I, I don't know. I don't, at least for me, I don't think it would breed the best work for me. I think I always have thought if you're nervous, it means you care. Right. The, like if you're going out with a woman that you, uh, and you're not nervous beforehand, you don't like then you her. probably don't like her. If you're like freaking out, you're probably really into her. You know, it's like, um, and I, I hadn't thought of that in terms of acting. And, and that was, it's, it's that very much, I, I find it to be very much the, the case, you know, I, the, the most nervous I think I ever was, was for kind of a good small part, but really good part in, a a comedy called Las Vegas where it has like every one of my heroes of acting in it at one time. I literally am like, oh my God, I just can't get fired from this movie. That's my goal <laughs> is don't get fired, get through it and just be a fly on the wall for this experience. And let's talk about that because you were doing that, which I rewatched over the weekend <laughs> and because uh, I had first seen it on a plane. That thing was right. playing on every plane, great plane forever. Movie. Great plane movie. Uh, and there's, you were shooting that from what I understand, while you were also shooting Lone Survivor. And what was that like to go back and forth from this comedy to, I mean, a drama of all dramas? It was, it, it was a really, it was a fun time, but also, and, I, and maybe I, I should have known better at the time. So start doing Las Vegas. Once I got over the fear of getting fired and- And who are the names actually, for those who don't know the so movie? So yeah. Las Vegas has a really tiny cast of uh, actors uh, Robert De Niro, <laughs> Michael Douglas, Morgan Freeman, who's played God like seven different times, yeah. uh, Kevin Klein, Mary Steenburgen. And so there's a lot of awards in that group. It's incredible. I think when I got the part, I released like that IMDb screenshot and with my name at the very end, I'm like, tell me what doesn't belong in this <laughs> sentence. I dare you to figure it out. Um, so yeah, obviously that that's a dream. Ca- and it was interesting, that cast, they've never worked together before. I think that's why it all that movie came together. Any of together. them together, even never, one. Oh, never wow. even one on one. One on one. Never. It's interesting how things like you know people will think how did that movie get made? And and I'm not saying that's the case with this one, but it's like none of them read the script, but none of them had worked with each other, so they were like, "Sign me." There's always these weird stories yeah. as to why people do get these do certain it, gigs. Timing or, and luck are also are no matter what people yeah. say. I do believe talent. And hard work always does break through, but a little bit of luck and timing always goes a long way. It can help. It, it, I I always have thought, yeah. It, it, with those two, you 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 have the opportunity to find to get some luck, right? Something like that. Uh, so I I get cast in that, and I was shooting in Vegas, and um, I also got cast uh, in, in a, another small but really good role in Lone Survivor with Pete Berg, Mark Wahlberg, Taylor Kitsch. Yeah. Uh, ben Foster, and for those of you who haven't seen it, it's a uh, really intense, probably some of the best actual battle footage and shootouts that you're going to see. It's yeah. an extremely violent film, yeah, no, but very real. It's it, Pete Berg. Yeah. 
And, and it's interesting how Lone Survivor even came around to me. But so I would go shoot for a week in Vegas, and it's this lighthearted, like kind of senior citizen hangover. <laughs> where everything a, is right, yeah. everything's fun and laughing, and you're yeah. playing the joke at all times. And then it's like, okay, getting on the plane, going to Albuquerque, New Mexico, sure. and I'm still in this great mood. I'm like, it's fucking the scenes with Robert De Niro. This is right. awesome. And then you land, and like I see Wahlberg, who I obviously know you helped cast me in Entourage. And he's got this grizzly beard. Doesn't he just he just looks like shit, but because he's beat up. And I'm like, Mark, what's up? He's like, hey, yeah, yeah. And I see Taylor Kitsch, who I don't know very well. I'm like, Taylor, how's it going, man? He's like, yeah, what's up? <laughs> Everyone is in such a dark mood because it's it's dark stuff that they're dealing with. And it's so, based on a real story. Based right? on a real story. Yeah. Mike Murphy, right, who of course. kind of sacrificed his life for Marcus Luttrell, who Mark yeah. Wahlberg played to kind of go on and you know, you get there and then it's like, okay, I gotta, I gotta get in this mode. So get a week on that movie where I start to get real dark and play all those dramatic, awful beats. You know, my character is actually the last person to talk to yeah, Murphy on the phone. And then I get back on the plane, I go to Vegas and I get back on the plane and we're doing takes and I'm like, and John Turtle tells the director, like, Jerry, lighten the fuck. What's up? What's up? Is everything okay? I'm like, yeah, dude. It's just it was really dark over there, <laughs> and it was just a really that month, month and a half of doing that back and forth was was I've never experienced anything like that before of the two different kind of genres at once. And you said that there, there's an interesting story behind how you got that lone survivor role. I'd be interested. So, yeah, in that. and and this is this is kind of how you. You know, there is really no such thing as like a small part or whatever. I first met Pete Berg on Battleship, uh, you know, and Taylor Kitsch was also in that I movie. Say, I, yeah. I, I think I had like one or two scenes in that movie. I, and it was almost one of those things where like, why am I doing this? Like, it's almost like, not that I'm above this. Was but Entourage on at that point? Entourage was on. It was toward the tail end, you know? No, it's a fair. But it was fair. very much like, look, go meet Pete. It's, you know, he's doing you a favor. You go do him a favor. It's sure. a small part. I'm sure it'll help. So go. And I start to develop a good relationship with Pete down there. Which isn't always easy. Right. And then, um, so now Lone Survivor comes around. And it's Obviously, it's a great script. You read those, that script. It's like, wow. And of course, I wanted like the Emile Hirsch part. <laughs> like every other, like probably 4,000 other actors. Yeah. And I'm battling for it. And what does that mean, battling Battling for is it? like, I'm, I'm telling everyone I know, who, if they know Pete, tell them I'd love a crack at it. I know I'm not getting an offer on it, but give me a swing. Give me an at-bat. Give me an audition. Right. And he's kind of already, and you know, we know each other. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going a different way. I, I think I got the guy. I'm like, all right, well, I'm, I'm going to put myself on tape. I'm not going to, I'm just going to show you what I could do. So I grab some friends, a little crew. We go, we put the scenes down on tape. Send it to Pete. Now, who are you? Sorry, what character are you? I think this was the Emil Hirsch okay, okay. character. I so want to say before he was officially it. cast. Got it. So I went ahead and did it, and he calls back, and he's like, "It's great, wow, awesome. Still gonna go with the guy <laughs> I want to go with, uh, but you know what? There's there's a small part in there, you know. It, it, but obviously, it's not the same as Battleship. It'll be worth your time. Okay, great. I'm very grateful. So he sends it over, and it was literally, you know. And and it's no disrespect to him. He thinks he's doing me a solid. It was, you know, like three or four lines. And I was like, you know what, Pete? I've done the three or four lines thing. And again, I don't think I'm above it, but I'm I'm just gonna pass. Go hire some young guy who's like, you know, I'm 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 just gonna sit it out. He's like, all right, you're an idiot, but okay. That sounds right. And then he calls back and he's like, well, you know, I combined some things, I flipped it around. Now it's two scenes. Here, take a look. Oh, interesting. I take a look and I'm like, Pete. I, and I might have had something else working on another job, so maybe I was sure. hedging a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. got to. I'm like, I don't know, Pete. Like, you you could go get you could go get someone probably better than than I will for this. Like, they'll probably come in and really be there for the whole. You're going to be in Mexico, New Mexico for right. 
however many weeks. He's like, calls back a third time. He's like, I re- there's three scenes. If you don't take, you'd literally be an, you'd be one of the dumbest people I know. And I read it and I'm like, you're absolutely right. That's a great role. Uh, I'll see you in New Mexico. And that's how that whole thing was kind of drummed up. And, you know, those are the sort of things you have to do to, secure work unless you're a handful of people who sort of get to pick and choose what they want to do. People don't realize that Dylan McDermott mm-hmm. tells this story about how he was telling me the other day that there was an indie film and didn't pay, you know, probably anything. Most of them don't um, pay much. Yeah, right? exactly. And, and he doesn't need the money anyway. And uh, it's, it's this like role that he's entranced with, just obsessed with. And so he, they, his agent goes to the director and says, again, indie, indie film. So Dylan McDermott's a big deal. And so we got Dylan McDermott and the director, some indie guy or whatever, goes, oh, he, can't, he can't do this role. And Dylan McDermott then- It's infuriating. Goes, gets a, it's an overweight character, gets a fat suit, buys a camera at Best Buy, puts it on the tripod. The next day sends in like a two-hour piece of him as the character- and says, I am this guy, and gets the role. And it should, I think people forget that the great actor, you, you, you got to stay humble because in like that sense of proving yourself, and you clearly did that even with Lone Survivor. Yeah, a- anytime I've had any form of ego, and then when I say pride, I don't mean like the good kind, like pride is a good thing. But they do say like the, you know, pride could be the death of every man. Pride is a good thing. But what I mean, it's more pride ego, ego yeah. right? Anytime that stuff has ever crept in, right? On anything with me, it's never led to anything it catches good. Up. It, it yeah, catches it just does, it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. So I, I think I've done. If anything, that's probably what I've done the best job at of in my career is is leaving that stuff at the door and just trying to just chase it. You know, you do get tired though. Not complaining, but it, it does grind you down. That's yeah. why any young actor who ever asks me like. You got any advice for me? I always just say, make sure you love it. Right. Because you're going to be tested. It's going to it's designed yeah. to make you quit, honestly. The right. whole way the business functions and all that. It's designed to make you go, fuck this, I'm out. It's a good way to put it. It tests your will. What is a day what is a what's a day in Jerry's life like? So like let's say you're not shooting power. It's not a, a big day that's, you know, like you're at, I don't know casual, if there's a way to answer that. Casual but Friday. Almost. No, no, not even, oh, not, not, okay. not, not like a day off. I mean, like, uh, w- are you spending 60% of your time auditioning for a bunch of different roles, some that you really want, others that are more like helps pay the bills or, or, or is there, is that like 10% of your time auditioning and you're really focused on power? Like, I'm just kind of curious what that what that looks like. It doesn't have to be a day, a day, a week. I don't know. Some, just yeah. a sense of it. So look, when power's going on, it's really tough. That's to, it. Yeah. It's just tough. It, it can be done. I'm not saying it's impossible. It's just really tough to, but it's such a catch 22 because to get the job that shoots in July when power ends, you got to get that in February. Right. So you got to figure out a way to do it. Um, for me, it's weird. Um, I don't, I, I'm not, I don't think I, I 60% of my time is spent auditioning. It's more spent reading scripts and then also because you get you know i still need development so it's like all right there's this role let's go kick down that door and see if they'll see me or let me get the chance at it and it's it's a lot of that it's a lot of reading talking to you know agents and managers being like what's and they're and they're we have a great rapport they will straight up tell me there's no chance or they'll say there's a chance that's probably the 60 percent of the time is is spent doing that but for me you know 
I don't. It's it's still fun. If it wasn't fun, I would definitely start doing other things. Right. Um, and I do a bunch of gaming stuff. So when all that stuff's not going on, right. I, I do my gaming stuff, and then it balances me out. I had to explain to my wife. This is like the one thing I actually could control. So much of huh. acting and Hollywood and all that for you. You have no control. I cannot wake up tomorrow and say, "Hey, I want to act today." That's why I love podcasting. That's how I even reached out to you. Or it's like I love what you're doing. I. You know, we had a so podcast sweet. for a while. We put it on hold for a little bit, but it was nice to have that feeling of, oh, I'm going to wake up tomorrow. Right. I got something I want to say. Let's turn the mics on and go. I don't need someone to give me permission to do it. I mean, I can't imagine what that must be such an, a good, if you're an actor, particularly because you could do the greatest scene of all time and you walk away that day and you're like, well, fuck, that's going to win an academy. But then it's edited together or the director doesn't know what they're doing and it ends up being a shitty scene. And then I, I think you were saying this actually earlier, but, and then vice versa, you, you're like, God, that restunk the place up. And then you watch it on screen. You're like, oh my God, put this in the reel. I can't tell you how many times. Oh, really? That I, 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 too many to count where, uh, doing a scene and it's like, fuck, this scene's really good. No, this is it. We did it guys. Yeah. This is it. This episode is going to be crazy. It's going to change everything. Right. And then you watch it in context with everything else. And it's like, all right, it was good. It was fine. It was not changing. And then there's other scenes where, you know, who this guy doesn't know his lines. This guy was late. I'm I'm a little I'm struggling today. Whatever you know, if you think about it in a way of almost like sports, like sometimes when a player has a bad performance, you don't know what's going on in that person's life. That happens to everyone, and you're like, oh, this scene is gonna get cut for sure, or at least chopped down to a nub right. because we got to get it sucks. Yeah, and you wash it back in context. And it's fucking awesome. It's the best scene of the episode. Right. It's really, I don't know if you've read much of like William Goldman and a lot of his like screenwriting and a how little bit, right. yeah. he, he really coined all this stuff where like nobody fucking knows anything. Right. No one knows what's good or not. Like you, you just, you're doing the best you can. No one knows. No one's the great predictor of That's what's right. going to be great and what's going to fail. Right. There's so many circumstances that are rolled into it that you can't predict. And I've always, I've learned that lesson where if something's not going well, you stick with it, it's going to be all right. And if something's going really well, stick with it. You just know it might just be all right. So now, um, oh God, we've already been here for three. Uh, I talk too much as I'm getting No, older, no, no, man. please, please. I'm the, uh, no, not at all. I, I'm, I'm grateful for your time here. Um, uh, at what point, at what age did you start to think even some, semblance of like, huh, I really like to act or I'm a performer or just that sense of, of, yeah, being a performer of some sort. Do you recall? Uh, I can't, I don't recall like the one aha like moment, moment right, but right. I, it, it's like a series of events in like childhood through teenage years. I do remember being like a young kid, my grandfather, Jerry, who I'm named after, um, great guy, He's obviously passed away a long time ago, but and he he was kind of a man of few words, you know, mm -hmm. wasn't like the, I remember like when I turned 13, on my 13th birthday, like I went to his house for like my birthday party and I went to go give him like a grandpa hug and kiss. And he's like, how old are you now? Like 13. He's like, we do this now. And he puts his hand out for a handshake. He's uh, like, now you're a man. We do straight this. Straight out of a movie. Strong. Yeah. And he just, you know, he didn't really laugh. He didn't really cry. He wasn't like an emotional guy. But like the old school Sunday matinees, like the back-to-back -back movies they would run on like Channel 11 in New York. WPIX. WPIX, right? yeah, yeah, my yeah, man. Yeah. That would be the shit that made him laugh and scream at the T. I saw emotion. I'm like, huh, huh. If that can make him do that, 
That's oh. super. So that was felt really young. And that's then, interesting. You know, I, I grew up huh. in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn in the 90s, which is an amazing place to grow up. Um, also tough place to grow up in yeah. a lot of ways. And I just was always more comfortable watching a movie or watching a TV show or reading a book. I just loved stories. It really was huh. the love of stories. It wasn't always I need to perform. And that's what it is for a lot of Some actors have to perform huh. or else they don't feel right. right. I'm not like that. I just enjoy. Give me a good story. I don't. I could have easily been an editor, a DP, a part of this crew, part of the story. I would have been fine. It's fascinating. It's, not, it's really not about the performance. It's about I just. I just like stories. Huh. That's why I'm. Res- I'm responding so well to what you're doing. No, like, I, you're nice telling stories. You made my day. That was very kind. Uh, so speaking of. The Jordan Rules, one of your favorite books. What a book! I'll have to. I'll give a little context, but uh, what do you love about the Jordan Rules? Well, at the time, you know, now we have so much Jordan content from over the years. But at the time, if I recall, because I'm a huge basketball fan, you know, that was really the the first look at right. behind the curtain a little bit, and uh, you know that part of it. And I just love. I just love the. The historical element now, even like rereading it and then hearing your podcast on it, it kind of throws you back in that time capsule yeah. of that era. It was just captured really well. Yeah, sure. MJ didn't care for it all right. that much, but uh, it, it's. Ju- I, I still read. I'll read chapters here and there to this day. Yeah, you know, it's a. It's funny because it's like it became known as this book that was trying to break up a team, but it's really the ultimate book. If if you, I reread it, you know, a couple a year or two ago, and it was like, huh, this book shows is like the epitome of, and it sounds cheesy, but of what it takes to be a great team. Yeah, like it goes through each player, what their role was for better or worse, and how MJ slowly realized that if he was gonna win, he needed these guys, whether they were. Good, bad, ugly, didn't matter. Like he needed, he just needed them. Right. And you're like, oh, so that's that's what it takes for a team. It's so simple, but he lay, that that uh, Sam Smith, the writer, just lays it out in a way that um, is quite easy to understand. Yeah, I mean, if it was like a fiction tale, it would be superstar basketball finds his way and realizes right. no one man right. can win a championship. Right. right. You know, and who's not going to buy? I would buy the fictional version of that. So we got the real life version of that yeah. with actual footage of yeah. context. It's, it's, it's one of the greats, you know. So it goes back to stories for me. Like it's that, all storytelling. You know, that that's it. So last question, what is what is Jerry doing in, in an ideal world in 20, 30 years professionally? Professionally? Ooh, God, such a good question. Uh, I, I think he is helping write and create television shows uh, behind the scenes. I think his acting days are long over. I think he got too ugly, too, bald, <laughs> too ugly, bald, and fat, probably to be in front of the camera I mean, anymore. Hey, listen, there's a lot of examples of guys where it works out. Well, but do you, you really think you would, you might slow down on the acting, or I, look, I, you know, is that just I don't kind of think I, I don't even know if I that's something you you do. I think it just happens. You know, I I, I do want to get behind the scenes a little more. Uh, I recently sold a show with the the same person, the same woman, Courtney Kemp, who created Power, who's believed in me all these well, years. Well, congratulations, man, because that's a big fucking deal. We, we sold a show to HBO together. Nice. So, um, and, and, but, you know, it's a whole new chapter. I, I have to not start again. I have a leg up, but 
no one knows me in the television production world. I'm starting. No, I'm, I'm I mean, if anything, it might be the opposite because they don't think you are. Right. As opposed to like, he's new. We'll see. They're like, he's been around and he doesn't do this, right. but he thinks he can. I would like one more character to get typecasted by. I'd like a third. The third's so a charm. So I could say, yes, I've been typecast right. three times a hat trick. Right. That, that would be right, good. Right. Um, the, the quote, I think, is the only thing harder than being number one is staying number one. So yeah, if, if you've, if you've, uh, it's a, it, it is kind of like starting anew when you're creating your own, when you're creating your own show. Are you allowed, you can't tell us what it's about yet. Uh, it, it, it it's set in the world of, uh, police corruption, but also in like kind of just organizational corruption as a whole systemic corruption. I'm in. That's, uh, that's enough. Yeah. Uh, I'm in. Yeah, where stuff where? that kind of went on more in the '80s in okay. New York, but we're trying to kind of set it against na- like, I like now, that. I guess you could say. Well, a little bit of uh, right juxtaposition to what's going on these days, so to speak. A little, a little, a little right. bit of that. Yeah. Um, throw in, we got to throw in juxtaposition. It's a great word. Anytime you yeah. could get yeah. juxtaposition, and yeah. yeah. I'm a big fan. So we'll see, man. But yeah, 30 years, maybe a little of that. Definitely more stuff in the gaming world, which uh, we could talk about one day down the road. But I love the gaming and esports community. It's like a soft spot in my heart. It so, has been for a while, right? Forever. Forever, yeah. Forever. I just, if I was 16 years old now, I'd be striving towards something in that. But, and it's not like, because the gaming thing is now, the gaming thing so is now mainstream. So it's not right. like you came on, like uh, when, when I was reading up, you've been doing, since you were I'm considered an old head. Right, The, right, the, the kids right. call me, oh, I'm right. like an OG. I'm right. an old head. So. Right. You saw that thing of... Um, of uh, Gordon Hayward and his wife. When- <laughs> it's awesome. It's aw- It's awesome. I, I loved it. I relate to it. Yeah. It's fantastic. Keep yeah. playing, Gordon. Yeah. Keep playing. Cool, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having really me. Anytime. It. Yeah. What Really Happened is produced by Dwayne Johnson, Danny Garcia, Brian Gewertz, Seven Bucks Productions, and Cadence 13. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Andrew Jenks. 